Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Post-Election Market Outlook Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Brian Belsky. Please go ahead, Mr. Belsky. Thank you so much, Elena. Good morning, everyone. I think it's, I think it's morning. Uh, long night for everyone. We're going to try our best to provide the best guidance that we can here. And on behalf of BMO Financial Group, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We stand at the ready to provide you with additional research and opinion when we know the final conclusion, and we will be doing another call like this, and we can obviously provide more conclusive evidence. But this is a very important day. This too shall pass. We have to trust the process, and we think avoid uh, brash and binary decisions with respect to all of our investments. And that's why we're blessed and fortunate uh, to be on a call such as this today. Uh, we are joined on the call with our Deputy Chief Economist, Michael Gregory, our Head of Fixed Income and Commodities and Currency, uh, Margaret Cairns, and then myself, Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, will round out our commentary with respect to investment strategy uh, in terms of both the U.S. and Canada. We will have time for Q&A shortly. Again, we want to try to provide as much clarity as we can for you, and as a resource, uh, we are here. And so with that, I will hand the ball off to Deputy Chief Economist Michael Gregory. Go ahead, Michael. Well, thanks, Brian. Well, we're all watching uh, the televisions or, or the wire services to uh, see how the uh, election is unfolding. And uh, it's pretty clear that uh, the ballots are still being counted, and particularly in, in, in counties that could still alter a state's result. And this is an important thing to keep in mind here, that this thing is not done yet. Uh, the uh, uh, Even this morning, as we've been preparing some of our reports, uh, we've seen both Wisconsin and Michigan go from a, a, a Trump-leading uh, state to a Biden-leading state. Uh, and uh, we'll probably get a lot more of that back and forth as, as these final uh, ballots get counted. As it stands right now, uh, and this is according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, given where we are right now in the Electoral College vote, uh, the, uh, uh, with Biden at 238 and Trump at 213, uh, and, and that's according, again, to the Wall Street Journal, and they're using the AP's uh, tally that uh, there's some 18 ways for Biden to pick up the 32 votes he needs and nine ways for Trump to pick up the 57 he needs, which is why market-based odds still see a, a Biden uh, victory at this point. Uh, in terms of the Senate race, uh, the, uh, the margins and some of the undecideds are a little bit wider than we're seeing at some of the, uh, 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 some of the more contentious states. And uh, as a result, it's sure looking like uh, that the uh, Republicans will hold on to the Senate. In fact, uh, we, we may end up with the exact same count we had before the, uh, before the election. Uh, and uh, and of course the the house uh, still being uh, controlled by the Democrats. So uh, so what, what's the takeaway here so far? Not knowing who's winning the, the presidency just yet, who or rather who will win. One thing is pretty clear that we we were looking. It looks like we're heading to a divided Congress, and uh, and therefore a uh, uh, you know a, a situation where it may be difficult to get a, uh, 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 the kind of fiscal stimulus bill that was envisioned uh, in a blue wave scenario, for example. And, and I think that's one of the first takeaway is whatever sort of expectations you had on, on that kind of fiscal stimulus bill, I think you got to think about uh, what, what has been referred to as a skinny bill or something small like that to get through. And, and that's kind of regardless who wins the presidency. Uh, and uh, 
the uh, and but nevertheless, now we're, we're still watching that sort of quite closely, and uh, and, uh, and and while we may not get the kind of fiscal relief that maybe uh, we thought we could get, uh, uh, the fact of the matter is the near-term prospects for the U.S. economy, uh, particularly will be driven by, you know, what's been, ha- and as, as well as the Canadian economy, will be driven by what's happening on the, uh, the COVID-19 infection front and rising case rates on both sides of the border and uh, the um, uh, increasing restrictions and, uh, uh, and reversal of reopening plans that, uh, that, that are resulting in, in jurisdictions uh, uh, across the border and, 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 and uh, so, um, and I think that's the ultimate uh, factor of uh, going to be affecting growth in the near term. There, there are some implications here, uh, you know, and, and I think Mark Ricares will get into this in, in some depth. That with, uh, but the prospects for for a blue wave and, and big, you know, uh, big budget deficits and things like that, it, it, you know, it's been good news for for the treasury market uh, going forward. Uh, the, uh, the there are some implications here, regardless who wins, uh, uh, and particularly for the Fed. Uh, you know, Fed Chair Powell's uh, tenure does uh, end in February 2022. So whoever's president is going to have to uh, uh, reappoint uh, him potentially. Uh, uh, you know, obviously with with, with Trump uh, 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 criticizing him quite quite openly in the past, one would think that his days may be numbered there. He won't get reappointed. But uh, and and even un- under Biden. Uh, um, uh, uh, the uh, Powell being a Republican, maybe he he, he doesn't get uh, uh, renominated as well. But uh, keep in mind that Powell was uh, nominated to the Board of Governors uh, under under the Obama administration uh, uh, as as an appeasement to a a, a Republican-led Senate at the time. So in fact, we happen to think that uh, uh, Trump, uh, sorry, Powell has a good uh, a case here of actually getting a uh, getting renominated for the simple reason that the Fed's uh, change in its monetary policy framework has become extremely politician-friendly. Uh, and, and we all know that uh, it looks like we probably won't get uh, rate hikes by the Fed until maybe 2024 at the earliest. Uh, now, if, if it turns out that uh, Biden does, uh, you know, manage to get a victory, uh, obviously there's, there's, there's the issue of um, who's going to be the new Treasury Secretary. And uh, on the short list there has been mentioned uh, Fed Governor Brainerd. Uh, which uh, um, and, and of course that of course would open up a, a, a another vacancy on the board. And by the way, and, and there's also the uh, the fate of the two Trump nominations, uh, Judy Shelton and Christopher Waller, to the board of governors. Uh, Waller, of course, had bipartisan support in committee uh, and, and still has to face a full Senate vote. Uh, 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 Shelton's uh, no, uh, nomination was more controversial, what around par- party lines, and, and there are a number of Republicans that even don't support her uh, candidacy. So. Uh, Again, we'll have to see how that unfolds uh, going forward. And finally, a new Treasury Secretary may take a more lenient attitude towards uh, uh, the Fed's lending programs. As you know, the Treasury's afforded the Fed a lot of capital to support these programs. And, and it has been argued that maybe the uh, restrictions on that have been a little too uh, uh, difficult or onerous for, for both lenders and borrowers. And maybe that can be loosened up a little bit finally implications for Canada uh, and, the, and the Canadian economy uh, from the outcome. Obviously, if, if, if Mr. Trump uh, proves victorious, uh, it's the status quo and, and therefore little change from what was happening over the past four years if we end up with a, a Biden presidency. Uh, and again, that, that's where the market odds seem to be pointing towards. Uh, but you know that would, would be with a, uh, you know, a, a Congress with the potential for gridlock. It's unlikely that anything major can get done. But of course, Biden does have, and the presidency, had, uh, 
uh, does have some power in things like trade and things like energy. And, and um, uh, Mr. Biden has already indicated that he would uh, uh, pull uh, the permit for Keystone XL, which of course would have uh, implications for for the energy sector specifically. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave it out of here for now because I know we'll probably get some Q and A coming afterwards. But I'll pass things over to my colleague uh, Margaret Cairns. Thank you, Michael, and thank you everyone for dialing in today. I'll start off with, in terms of you know the market pricing uh, overnight and this morning, we have had a pretty large swing in both 10s and 30s. Uh, I think about 19 basis points in 10s and 24 basis points in 30s, uh, bringing us back down uh, to the lower ends of the recent range. I think that this is a classic short covering move, and what's going to be really interesting is to see where we settle uh, as the day, and probably today and tomorrow, as we get through today and tomorrow. Uh, we do think that we'll remain at the lower end of the range, and tens are likely to test 70 basis points, uh, but ultimately, we are holding our call uh, for the resumption of bear flattener into year end with 10-year yields uh, once again approaching the 1% level. And that's, you know, that said, we do think that we're in for a couple of days of volatility here. And you know, I think Michael already mentioned this a little bit prior to the election with the White House and the Senate, both Republican uh, and Trump even favoring a larger fiscal package. Uh, then the Republican senators, an agreement was unable to be reached on fiscal stimulus. Uh, if Biden does win, we do think the prospects for a sizable fiscal deal are certainly dwindling, and this is being priced into the Treasury market. I, you know, we think a, a small package is still possible, and it's really based on that many of the states remain in various stages of shutdown given the rising infection rates that, and you know which are reversing the reopening efforts and and this is where the market focus on fiscal stimulus is playing a role one of the ways that we have been framing up the market is really as we're moving through time we're 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 overcoming some of the hurdles and one of the big hurdles is the election so hopefully within the next you know day or two or a couple of days we will have the results hopefully sooner rather than later, and the market will once again be fully focusing on the path of the pandemic and uh, the the success of the vaccines or moving toward vaccines. Um, so the 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 issue with the fiscal stimulus is that the timing does matter because the purpose of it is to provide a bridge to both individuals and companies in order for them to survive the economic damage that is occurring because of the pandemic. And the longer it takes or the longer the pandemic continues and, you know, these shutdowns, re-shutdowns are occurring, uh, the greater the potential damage. And without that um, fiscal stimulus, we could have the need for even more uh, stimulus or help uh, later on. Uh, you know, the size of it does matter because it needs to be large enough to provide the support needed to the various sectors, but not so large where money is being thrown into areas where it's not needed, as of course we do have to um, apparently pay all of this back at some point in the future. Uh, so we think, you know, once we do know the election results, um, you know, we like I said, we will be moving. We will be moving past that, and you know, I, it's not necessarily 
who wins the presidency at this point, uh, given that it's expected for uh, the Republicans to maintain the uh, Senate and the Democrats to hold the House, uh, which will provide some, you know, some level of gridlock. Um, I think that the market is really going to continue to focus on, uh, you know, when we are going to get a safe, effective, and widely available vaccine. And the the first major step will, of course, be the next hurdle will be, you know, will people take it? Uh, and, and that will be what the market is going to watch. And as I said, we, we do expect this bearish impulse in treasuries to continue uh, into year end. Uh, you know, in terms of IG credit spreads, we've seen very, very uh, minor moves on, on the back of the current uncertainty. We're about a basis point tighter this morning. Spreads are, are and continue to be near the post-pandemic tight, but still about 30 basis points wider. Than, than the January tights. Uh, the, the IG market is bifurcated just like every other market. And for us, it really all depends, as does uh, the race market on the recovery in, in jobs. And the bifurcation in the IG market has featured you know, very, very strong winners in this and very strong losers. And even uh, you know, if we don't get a fiscal plan, we, we do think that spreads should go a bit wider into uh, year-end, just given the implications for the credit market. But ultimately, once it's clear that we have a vaccine widely available, uh, we do think that IG spreads uh, will move back to the pre-pandemic type. So on that, I will pass it back to Brian Belsky, and thank you. Thank you, Margaret and Michael. Great comments. With respect to investment strategy and how we're going to be investing through this, we published a piece early this morning entitled, We Will Know When We Know. Our research as all of uh, BMO Capital Markets, BMO Financial Group Research is, is located on the BMOCM.com uh, website. And also please reach out to your relationship manager in terms of getting on these lists. Clearly the duration and clarity uh, are keys uh, to provide much needed confidence with respect to uh, an eventual decision. That's why we've been very steadfast with respect to our overall uh, investment strategy for all of 2020. This has been an emotional year that has impacted all of our lives from a personal level to an investment level. Uh, and we have to continue to control what we can control. From an investment standpoint, we want to buy scarcity and sell capacity. So what does that mean? From a Scarcity proposal, we want to buy quality assets where we know the businesses. We want to focus on themes and stock picking uh, and bottoms up fundamentals that matter again. We want to focus on growth. When growth is scarce, growth outperforms. So what does that mean? We think it's way too early to make any kind of brash portfolio decisions in both Canada and the United States. There are three parts to growth. There is secular growth, there's structural growth, and there's cyclical growth. There are parts of cyclical growth that clearly benefit the value category. But again, per Margaret's comments with respect to what interest rates are going to do, it's going to be very difficult for many of the value categories, especially financials from a broader perspective, uh, to make money in the very, very tight net interest margin environment that Michael, the foretold with respect to the Fed not doing anything uh, for as much as three years. So what does this mean for equities? It means that higher risk premiums and zero risk-free rates will benefit equities going forward. But it really goes back to buying the scarcity proposal and knowing from a fundamental perspective what your process is, 
sticking with that and turning off the rhetoric. Now, we're going to be hearing, obviously, a lot about opinions, uh, some non-objective, some, some objective with respect to what could happen. We don't know what's going to happen exactly up until the, the, on a state-by-state -state basis when the states actually ratify and certify this election. Until then, we have to stay in our lane, control what you can control, stick with your process and your discipline, and focus on quality and buying that scarcity proposal, knowing what you're buying. So that being said, we maintain our positions with respect to being overweight technology stocks, communication services stocks, and consumer discretionary stocks in the United States, as well as parts of Fables Retailing, parts of financials, meaning money center banks and brokers, and very select healthcare companies in Canada. We're overweight communication services and financials. We believe dividend growth is going to be an excessively important theme going forward. And now that it looks as uh, both Michael and Margaret talked about that we are not going to get the blue wave, the tax consequences and the negative consequences on areas like REITs and utilities, and especially in Canada, uh, communication services and financials, are going to not be the bigger impact that many people feared with respect to the dividend taxation side of things. And we do believe, given the low interest rate environment, that equity income is going to be a very, very important fleet. Again, we stand at the ready in terms of BMO Financial Group and BMO Capital Markets with respect to further data and uh, further calls. We will uh, open up to another call once we have a conclusive uh, end to this. And with that, Elena, if we could open up the lines for questions, that would be great. Certainly. Thank you. Thank you, Elena. And while we wait for questions to queue, um, I would ask Michael Gregory a question with respect to his comments uh, on the Fed. Much has been made of the potential duration of a non-Fed change in terms of tone and strategy. What would you kind of be looking for, though, however, not to put the cart in front of the horse, but in terms of language or is there something very specific in the years, it looks like maybe, or the months ahead? to really signal to you and your great economics team with respect to a potential change in tone from the Fed? Well, I, I think the Fed has been very clear about uh, uh, you know, what it's looking at going forward, and, and it wants to see inflation that is uh, uh, moderately above 2% for some time, and we're still far away from that. We're not sure exactly how much is moderate and how much is for some time, but, but clearly it, 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 it must be meaningful enough so they don't expect to be raising rates for a while. More importantly, though, is on the jobless rate. Uh, and, you know, those, those two years before the pandemic hit, when we had the unemployment rate uh, uh, running below uh, the natural rate uh, or the long-term unemployment rate uh, for those two years, and in those two years, we saw basically no inflation pressures whatsoever and, and a very welcomed social broadening of uh, uh, job gains and wage gains. And, and that is precisely where the Fed would like to be again. Uh, and, and therefore, uh, you know, as long as the unemployment rate proves stubborn and quite frankly, with, you know, two and a half million Americans, for example, uh, 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 now deemed permanently unemployed because of the pandemic, you know, that, that suggests that, uh, you know, the unemployment rate is going to prove stubborn and slack in the labor market is going to be an issue for, for many, many years. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, you know, it's, I think it's only when we start to see either number one, 
those inflation pressures, you know, become more persistent. Call it, you know, core PC inflation running consistently above two and a half percent for, you know, over a year, something like that, right? Uh, and and on top of that, you know, the unemployment rate continuing to fall. Well, then, yeah, okay, maybe I could see some tone by the Fed. But quite frankly, uh, you know, as I mentioned in, in my opening comments, th- this is the politician's dream in terms of a central bank. Basically, they they are the politician's friend. They won't be raising rates. The notion of taking the punch bowl away just as the party starts is no longer on 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 the order book. Thank you, Michael. Lena, do we have any questions from the queue? We will move on to the next question, which is from Bob Burke. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Yeah, so I was wondering if you had any comments in terms of tax policy in regards to capital gains. Do you see any major changes or insights into that? Michael, why don't you go ahead and take that and I'll uh, follow through. Sure. Well, I'm, I mean, uh, um, obviously with a divided Congress it's, and getting any kind of tax measures through uh, is, is going to prove problematic no matter what, you know, uh, uh, pres- if I have a you know a presumptive you know uh, Biden presidency, uh, uh, um, and he's kind of favored you know th- th- those kind of uh, uh, tax increases, uh, and uh, so it, it doesn't seem likely at, at this at this point in time. Uh, that said, uh, uh, you know all bets are off uh, you know beyond the next few years, as, as Margaret indicated in her comments. I mean these big budget deficits we're seeing now uh, uh, may have been necessary. They have overdone it a little bit on some of the programs. We're going to tailor make them a little bit or, or fine tune them going forward. But those big budget deficits are going to persist for a long time. And it's not a sustainable situation. So we're going to have to write the fiscal ship, which means that down the road, uh, it's inevitable we will get higher taxes and lower spending or, or than would otherwise have been the case. Uh, uh, so uh, you can't rule out that, say, you know, over a sort of a, a four to eight year horizon. But but over the next several years, probably not. I think that's right, Michael, um, and thanks for, for clarifying some of that. I do think that it, uh, at least, again, taking uh, a more intermediate view of the next one to three years, it's clearly continuing to put a bid with respect to what's going on uh, in terms of stocks and, again, to, to regroup and recant or re, re, reiterate, I'm sorry, our comments with respect to equity income. Equity income has been a strategy that's underperformed this year, especially given the intense focus on growth stocks, but I do think for that uh, in a gridlock environment that we're peers that we're heading into will clearly uh, think help out the equity income side uh, in terms of dividend taxation as well. With that, Elena, can we go back to the queue, please? There are no further questions registered at this time, so I will turn the meeting back over to you, Mr. Belsky. Great. Thank you very much. I think we need to focus on the positive here, and the positive is we, this will come to an end, and we will move on from this, number one. Number two, you've heard from, from our best and brightest minds with respect to a, a macro perspective in terms of, of what's happening in investments, from the economy improving to the Fed being supportive to stimulus coming to interest rates remaining low. We think those are is a positive backdrop for North American investments in general. From an equity perspective, we continue to believe that the U.S. equity market has been in the midst of a 20-year bull market. We continue to believe that equities in, in the United States and Canada are the best homes for assets with respect to equity assets in the world. We think that the current backdrop from the macro perspective that you've heard today clearly benefits that. Again, we at BMO Financial Group stand at the ready to provide you with additional clarity once we have a decision in terms of the President of the United States 
We will uh, be doing another call and we hope that you will join us. In the meantime, please get some rest, uh, keep the faith and we will prevail. Thank you so much for joining us today. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.